Alright, hey guys, this is another episode of Gravely Unusual Lives, and we got an awesome guest today. We have 42nd Street Pete with us. How are you doing, man? I guess as good as could be expected, considering it's almost like being under house arrest without the ankle bracelet, you know? I'd say, man, um, I, I know it's it's New York, it's pretty crazy up there, right? Well, I'm in Ohio. Oh, like, you're in I Ohio. Moved, I, I moved to Ohio, it'd be nine years, uh... In last April, this this you know past April. Really? So you're? I mean, you're what? You're not too far from me. I'm in Kentucky, so. Yeah. Nah, I couldn't afford it no more. You know, but plus every, everything we, you know, everything that made it cool was gone. You know, it was over. It sucked. Yeah. Uh. So I mean, the whole they kind of, what did they do? They just uh kind of reconstructed um. Well, a lot it, of the it's, places, it's right? sort of it, it's sort of an involved type story because you hear you hear different scenarios here and there and everywhere. The bottom line was, and this is on uh, Severin's Doctor Butcher DVD. It's an extra with Terry Levine, who basically you know released Doctor Butcher. It was all about money. Nobody was paying their taxes over there. I mean, all these stores would open up. They collect sales tax, never turn it in. I mean, it was all you know all all crime. So yeah. basically, you know, AIDS had a lot to do with it. Crack had a lot to do with it. Home video had a lot to do with it. Plus, the realtors really wanted that area big time. So, you know, I, I honestly think a lot, a lot of the operators there knew it was going to end because toward the end, the theaters were basically falling apart. I mean, they were always shitty, but never shitty to the point where, like, sunlight was coming in through the roofs and stuff. Uh, doors were falling off. Marquees were crumbling. So... It, it, it sucks, but you know, inevitably, it had to end. I guess had a good all good things come to an end eventually. Yeah. But I mean, I you know, I only see, I only see like what I see in movies. I, I've never even been to New York. I've, you know, I've only really traveled the Midwest and the South. Um, and you know, I like I said, I only see what I see from movies or what I've read. And you know what. What I've heard, it's a, been a it was a pretty crazy place, especially during the seventies and the eighties, right? Well, seventies was basically my, my real fun era over there. Uh, I started hanging out, I'd say sixty uh, nine, maybe, but then going in like when, on school trips, and then you know cutting away from the trip, and then winding up on Forty Second Street, and then you know underage drinking in, in Greenwich Village was a big thing too, so. Yeah, that's that's you know that was when everything sort of turned. It was like the pivotal time in you know film worldwide, also, where everything was getting you know new and different. People were trying different stuff, so you know you got exposed to you know just about every kind of film there was. And like uh, back then, the uh, the films changed on Wednesday instead of Friday. Really, and the reason they yeah the reason they would do that is because if they didn't draw up until about Thursday. They'd yank them out and throw something else in that they knew would draw. So sometimes you'd see shit run. It would be there one day and gone because nobody gave them. There was probably, I mean, the, a lot of movies, there, there's probably a lot of obscure shit that, I mean, maybe even stuff that hasn't ever been properly released, right, uh, that would show in those theaters. Yeah, there, there was some, re like, the weird thing is there's a movie called Tree on a Meat Hook, which has never had a legit release at all. Even on VHS, it was a bogus release. And you would think that, you know, that was a title that bounced around a lot in the drive-ins and grindhouses and stuff. Nobody seems to have been able to come up with a print of that at all, period. I, I mean, think, Yeah, I've heard there's, like, been lost films, you know, during that era. Like, 
Well, you know, a lot of the Andy Milligan stuff, you know, that it, 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 it's just gone. That supposedly uh, his distributor hate uh, the older the older um, partner or whatever in the distributor was a guy named I think uh, William Michigan, and his son hated the business. And when William died, I think he was like in his nineties. Supposedly, he melted down all the black and white prints for the silver nitrate content and just threw everything away because he really hated the business. Wow. So there's some <laughs> stuff that's definitely, I mean, look how long it took them to find a complete print of Flesh Pot on 42nd Street. I mean, it's crazy because there is, you know, uh, releases like Vinegar Syndrome and, um, you know, Severin. They, they kind of restore these, or even like your Blue Underground and all these different. Uh, you know, production companies and distributors are kind of preserving this, these movies. Do you think that's like a good thing? Oh yeah. Without it, without a doubt, you know, it, it's like my, my argument is how many times you can buy the same movie over and over again. I mean, I, I can see this stuff like, uh, you know, I know Bill Lustig a long time and, you know, he's coming up with the, the 4k scans. Like I got zombie, uh, New York Ripper, uh, house by the cemetery. And they, they look great. And a lot of these companies are coming up with some, you know, really great, you know, new transfers of these things. But on the other hand, some of these companies are just, you know, putting stuff out. Uh, so. I, I've, I mean, I've even bought, you know, uh, I'm really into Enzo uh, Castellari movies right now. Um, and I got a, a Hammerhead DVD from Revoc.com. I mean, it's just a VHS transfer. And I'm sure I don't even see that movie listed on his filmography on some places. You know what I mean? So there's... Uh, there is a lot of movies out there, and and um, maybe it's just uh, it, getting to those people, getting to this the right people. I, I really don't know how all that works. So it's an interesting well, so, process. Know, there, there's stuff. It's like a lot of this stuff. It, it's such a, a niche type business that you know, even like what I was doing with my DVDs, and I backed off a while because I'm you know it, you're just not selling anymore. Um, you're only going to sell so many of these things right now because of the piracy, the streaming and everything else. I mean, there's stuff on Tubi that's on Blue Underground. I mean, it's got to be Blue Underground and Arrow releases. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, no, I watch Tubi all the time. That's where I find a lot of those obscure yeah. movies to be honest. Yeah, I mean, they're streaming them for nothing. I mean, I I found uh, a knife for the ladies there and I I heard of that movie, but I had never seen it in a the theater and there it was and it's like, okay, that was worth not paying for. So <laughs> And that, that happens with a lot of movies, I feel like. I, you know, I, I, I hear about them, and I'm like, the title sounds awesome, and, you know, it has this kind of weird mystique about it, and then you see the movie, and it's pretty lackluster. And I feel like that happens a lot with, you know, releases from, you know, Severin and uh, Vinegar Syndrome. I'll get something, and I'm like, oh, that was okay, you know. Uh, uh, for example, I got Berserker, um, and, you know, the, the tagline sounded real cool. It was like you know, Viking ghosts or whatever. And it's basically just a slasher movie and a guy in a bear suit. And then it's... Yeah, it was probably one of those direct the video jobs from, from the eighties. Right. Right. You know, and I was expecting that's what I say, that, well, that's a lot of, that's, there's a lot of the problems with the eighties films is they went right to video and you know, some were okay. Some really sucked. I mean, I, I just watched this thing called Saturday night special the other night and it was supposed to be this, classic roughy porn thing with jamie gillis and all this other stuff and i'm sitting there okay i'm watching a fuck film with very little fucking in it <laughs> what fucking there is it ain't the people you see on the screen because you see jamie doing this like weird making these 
fucking faces in the camera, like slapping the shit out of this chick. And then you like you see him like reach down and like his pants are still on, but you see this big uncircumcised cock come out and start <laughs> nailing the chick. And like, okay, I've seen enough Jamie Gillis movies to know that he's circumcised. And even if I didn't know that the name Gillis and he's Jewish, he would be circumcised. So <laughs> what they did basically was they put in the same insert three fucking times. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just put the movie up on eBay this morning and sold it for less than I paid for it. But what the fuck? I have no attachment to it. So uh, it's interesting uh, that, um, you know, like you said a lot about like sleazy pornos and stuff that at, at a time, I guess, you know, and this isn't strictly, you know, we're a horror magazine technically, you know, um, right. but really the a, a lot of the focus has been shifting more to like just obscure exploitation movies you know just out of my own curiosity and um you know a lot of the 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 sleaziness and the pornos coincide with the horror movies um i even read in grindhouse purgatory uh i think it was 11 the one about spawn ranch um the interview with uh what was his name yeah 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 uh you talk about al adamson doing the doing a porno movie under a different name and that that a lot of directors did that i guess back then right oh yeah wes craven did it too yeah yeah which i heard that too yeah because it was this, this tape uh angela the fireworks woman and yeah you, know, you know i worked you know a video distributor it was my last job in new york city liquidators i was i was in charge of the adult you know adults only department and i had a couple of these tapes and like i i didn't realize what they were through them on ebay i'm like i got 90 dollars for this why then somebody told me oh Wes craven directed it i'm like yeah okay and he was also um he had something to do with the the movie that al goldstein made it happened in hollywood he he had something to do with that him and uh, peter Locke. So there is a crossover because you know you know oh let's let's face it last house on the left was supposed to be a roughy porn film which yeah I mean there is a you know there is a sleaze to those uh, kind of yeah. movies you know uh, I even think of like Miss Forty Five being kind of like a it's borderline I mean there's like two very horrible scenes that happen before you know the, even the story picks up and I I think it's kind of like it's pushing the boundaries. Um, being you know the borderline between horror and porno and sleaze or even new york ripper you mentioned new york ripper there's like a toe fingering scene like what the fuck oh yeah i mean there's some crazy stuff there but you know a lot of the stuff you know was based in new york and it was rougher like you know you, even if you want to go with porn like the avon line and stuff like that because new york was a rough city and you know some of the films that were shot there I mean, I know there was a moratorium for a while because it, w- it was cost prohibitive to do it. But like, you know, unless they shot Maniac, he didn't get permits. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. all this stuff. So there's a lot of underground stuff going on. The one um, that Michigan shot that um, it's it's pretty much of a racist film, Fight for Your Life. The beginning of that was shot all, all over right down by the Lincoln Tunnel. So a lot of stuff w- was shot on the sneak that, you know, that beat the permits. And, you know, the funny part was even with the porn stuff, like, you know, they'd see Jamie Gillis there and like uh, Carter Stevens be running the camera and the cop would walk up and go, oh, we're shooting a student film. And the cop looks and he, you know, of course, everybody recognized Gillis. He goes, yeah, sure you are. So you can get away. They, they got away with a lot. I mean, I mean, I've shot over there with, you know, stuff for uh, pop cinema and my own line. You know, we, we've gone over there and it's, you know, that rule is as long as you don't use a tripod, you're OK. You can get away with stuff. 
kind so, of a guerrilla approach to making a movie. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard, you know. If you, I can understand if you're blocking the sidewalk and shit like that, which a lot of guys do. But you know, we were doing stuff for you know, in between whatever I was doing on on the DVDs, so. Nobody really bothered us, and I was in gimmick, and I did a couple other things. I did a couple documentaries over there, and, like, people just walked up because I was, you know, in trench coat and the whole deal, and, like, you know, walked up and started a conversation out of nowhere and <laughs> made it to the documentaries. I mean, so it's all good. What do you think the 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 mystique or the allure is to these kind of, like, strange, obscure movies, you know? Uh, there's a lot of people, even newer people. You know, I mean, I'm... I'm 29 years old and i mean i'm i am obsessed with this i i'm looking for any movie i can watch what do you what do you think it is about these kind of movies well i gotta go back to the whole thing and i'm like way the fuck older than you are i'm (laughs) 67 um the whole thing with me was growing up in a catholic you know school type deal that it was all forbidden I mean, when they had Frankenstein, the original one from 31 on like the four o'clock movie, we had notes to take home to our parents not to let us watch this shit. Really? Oh, but of course, when you do that, you want to watch it. Right. Oh, I'd sneak upstairs, play around with this old TV with antennas and cut into the part where he killed Fritz. So I'm like, okay, got to come up because, you know, another thing back in the day when TV was they run the same damn movie like seven days a week at the same time of the day because they didn't have any programming. So if you got scared or you missed some of it, you could always tune in later, which was cool. So that was the whole deal. And then, you know, finally it was like, all right, you're not allowed to watch this stuff. But then somebody told me that Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein's going to be on it. I think at like one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon or something. So I'm going to go home because I can watch Abbott and Costello. So I played the game, and of course, when they were done with the TV, I switched it on, of course, there's the monsters and stuff. So I got caught, but then when they saw the Paul Abbott and Costello things, like, all right, maybe this isn't too bad. So little by little, you were allowed to watch certain stuff. My thing was that, like, um, the American International's library got picked up by one of the stations, and they were running this stuff. Every, uh, they had, like, a, heart, a monster movie day, a war movie day, a western movie day, the whole bit. So, like, Day the World Ended, The Undead, all that stuff would run. Then it would wind up late at night. So I'd, like, you know, wake myself up 1 o'clock in the morning or go down and try to watch this stuff. So it was, like, a whole, you know, forbidden thing. And then, you know, when the movie started, it was, like, see, they had something called a kitty matinee back then which is pretty much, you know, the old school equivalent of sticking a kid in front of a TV and showing a videotape in. Right. (laughs) So basically for 75 cents, you got a Three Stooges short, three Warner Brothers cartoons, and two movies. Now, whoever was booking this shit, anything black and white monster movie, that was cool because they figured how bad could black and white be. So we got to see a whole bunch of really cool shit up on the big screen. Like um, the creature from the Black Lagoon movies, we saw them on the big screen. Which there's some very uh, intense scenes in that movie that are pretty scary, <laughs> like uh, the the claw well, reaching through were, the tin. They were, and... running, they were running all kinds of stuff. I mean, even even the horror party beach at a kitty matinee. That's okay? that's insane. Yeah, that's yeah, nuts. that's where we saw the shit. But you know what? What what killed the kitty matinee? They booked Night of the Living Dead after it ran. All these, all these, you know, guys that were doing it, all they saw, oh, another black and white horror movie. How bad could it be? When kids went out of the theater in the state of shock, that was the end of the kitty matinee. 
I mean, I guess Romero really did kind of change yeah. movies. Well, that, that's, a, that's a true story because, you know, like I said, I always said, God bless these irresponsible bastards who book films for the kitty matinees because we're seeing great shit we wouldn't have been allowed to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they, when they did that, nobody knew where it was coming from. It was like, okay, you're showing five-year-old kids this shit, you know? <laughs> well, that's a thing I kind of relate to. Like, um, I, I mean, I was my, – my grandfather, I hung out with him a lot. Um, we watched, you know – we watch westerns nonstop and and sci-fi movies nonstop and uh, the black and white stuff. Like as a kid, you know, I was kind of like, "Oh, this is boring," blah blah blah. But you know, I couldn't tell my grandpa turn that off. You know, yeah. um, but then after, you know, after I get a little older, I'm like, "Oh, this stuff is awesome." So I kind of uh, kind of got an, an attraction to it, and then it just kind of led to one thing to another, and you know, now it's you know, I talk to him on any new weird spaghetti western i see or uh you know some weird sci-fi movie and we watch like svengoli on saturday together so um which which also i i i saw in a grindhouse purgatory issue there's a oddball spaghetti westerns article that i'm very interested in reading because that's kind of like my interest right now is uh just any kind of weird western i can get a hold of um, my buddy Mike Haas uh, has a bunch of books out, Spaghetti Western Digest and stuff. He might have wrote that. Yeah, he I, was, he, he I, was contributing some stuff for a while. I I did a bunch of stuff on it too, like the Great Silence. Um, yeah, yeah, Great Silence. Um, I, I have I got just got Cemetery Without Crosses. Um, yeah, Hellbenders is good. That they just Blu-rayed that. No, I need to I need to check that out. I haven't seen that one. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a Corbucci one too. Really, really, yeah, yeah. Corbucci stuff. I I, I love that stuff. Yeah, all the I like the weird another, Django another, movies. Another company that's like this guy's been on it for a while. I met him when I was in New York. Um, Wild East Productions. They come up with some really great stuff. I'll have to check that out. That's awesome. But it's limited. When their stuff goes out of print, it goes for like retarded money. Dude, I hate that too. I'll I'll get on eBay and like uh something will go out of print on even just like Aero Video or Shout Factory, and it's like $60 for a Blu-ray. I'm like, I'm not buying that. Like, it's crazy. Well, you know what it is, and here's what pisses me off. You know your market for these films. Why are you making a limited edition of 500 fucking pieces? Because the minute you put them on sale, the flippers buy them up. What should be 30 becomes 90. Right, right. And people yes. really want to see the fucking movies can't see them because these jerk-offs are too money-hungry. See, this is the bad side of, like, social media and, like, redistributing these movies. And it, you know, it it turns out to where you, like, people like me, I, I'm, I'm not going to buy a movie. I don't care if it's $100. I'm not I'm not buying that. And I'm, you know, I won't spend more than 30 bucks on a DVD. I won't even spend $40 on, you know, a double-disc Blu-ray. You know, I, I could just watch. Yeah. I can <clears throat> find a VHS for cheaper than that Some at some you know, you know, whatever, just any kind of like leftover secondhand store, you know? So, um, yeah, well, you know, you know like I said, the other thing too, is sometimes like these things that they bottom out in price, which I'm surprised really because of what's going on right now, that there hasn't been any really good sales because usually, you know, in times of like, there's no money around trying to flip products, but I don't know what these guys are doing, which I still but, see that there's a lot of people, there's, a bunch of new releases coming out and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's still, 
which, you know, you buy something new on Severin, you get it for $40, and then literally, like, three months later, it's, you know, $20 on their 50 so... Yeah, and you know what it is too. A lot of this stuff winds up in closeout catalogs, and the closeout catalogs wind up all over the place. So it's like you know, you gotta you gotta pick and choose your spots. Like I, I just picked up um, uh, Cannibal Apocalypse. Oh, I, I I've been one to get that one with John Saxon, right? Yeah, I just picked that up. Twenty bucks off. Uh, I think it was Deep Discount had it. That's that's good too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's. Like- there's another one. It's like. I don't remember that movie playing anywhere else but North New Jersey, and it was called Cannibals in the Streets. And the poster had like it looked like a zombie hand reaching up and trying to pull something down. And then it had a bunch of pictures that they got people who were in it. And for the life of me, I can't remember anybody I even ran into saying it even played on Forty Second Street. Not that I know every fucking movie that played there, but I figured something like that should have went over big. And I think the reason it didn't was because when they put out the tape on Vestron video, it was so horribly fucking edited that it really didn't make any sense. And then, you know, we're going into like the early days of the conventions when everybody was selling bootlegs and shit. I had three versions of this movie and every version was missing something. That and I heard that was a problem that a lot of people ran into with like different cuts of movies and shit. Like uh, they'd put it out on VHS and you'd have a, totally different cut from what the, I forgot what I was watching originally that was totally different from the original version. Like, like half the movie was cut out. Uh, maybe it's deep red. Maybe the deep red, the actual version didn't really come out until a few years ago until arrow did it. Yeah. Well, see, here's, here's something people don't realize because people, you know, ask me like, well, you said you saw this movie on 42nd street and I'll usually say, yeah. And they said, well, how come you didn't see this scene? Cause it wasn't in there because for whatever reason, I mean, you know, the scene when they cut um, uh, Giovanni Radici's cock off and make them die slowly, theatrically, it was a really quick cut. You, you know, you knew you saw a dick getting cut off, but it didn't like linger like it does on, you know, the DVD now. So everything was like a quick cut and a lot of shit was missing. I mean, uh, Spaghetti Western, The Day of Anger, runs almost an hour and they trimmed 20 minutes of it off for the, for the, the drive-in release. So... A lot of this stuff that we saw was like, you know, it was fucked up when we got it. And then the censors were even worse. And then the other thing that came to people's attention was that projectionists would clip certain scenes out of the movie and sell it to private collectors. So it was a whole bunch of weird shit going on like that. Which I, I even talked to John uh, that referred me to you, John Shadzer. Um, he was saying that certain movies would be, you know, chopped up for TV like so much that, you know, it'd be like, you know, you'd have a 90-minute movie down to 60 minutes, you know? Yeah, so they could throw commercials in. I run it. I used to. I was collecting 60-millimeter films, and the thing you had to stay away from was the TV prints because they'd be missing the shit, or they'd cut the language out or something. Which, yeah, it, so, it amazes me that Hammer films, certain Hammer films were ever shown on TV to begin with. You know, it's all a political thing, what, what they get away with uh, with TVs, because I, I remember something going back to the Nixon administration where they started showing the Eastwood movies back then, and they were all cut to shit. You'd see, you'd hear one gun go off, and you'd see seven people lying on the ground dead, and you never thought they'd fall. I, I swear to God, they did shit. I don't know why they did shit like that. I, I mean, I feel like we're, I, I, I feel like, I don't feel like it's similar to that now, but so many people are just getting to that point where they're just trying to like cut everything off and push back more sensors. I don't, I don't know. I mean, 
Well, you know, it's, I don't know, a lot of shit, you know, I always say about the whole Grindhouse thing, that when people say they're, they're going to make a Grindhouse movie, I say, well, I hope you got a time machine that's going to take you back there, because maybe you're making a tribute, maybe you're making a homage, because that whole thing's gone. That whole era is gone. That was like a lifestyle and era, and each one of those film genres, be it black exploitation, spaghetti westerns, um, whatever, they had maybe a five to eight year shelf life, and that was it. When they were gone, they were gone. I mean, nobody brought them back. I mean, the cannibal stuff was only like maybe seven years, and it wasn't a lot of them. I mean, you, you got to think think this way. How in today's world would a movie like Make Them Die Slowly run 10 weeks straight at the same theater? No, I don't even think movies run that long. I I don't even know. No. See, the whole deal was before you had home video, and this was even even when home video started a little bit, because this I think it was 81, 82. That fucking movie ran 10 weeks straight, and they only changed the co-feature once. Then they brought it back for, I think, another four weeks and then another two weeks. And that's as, that's as far as the timetable I got on it was. I, I come from like, you know a home video. I, I, I grew up on home video and going to the video rental store. But I remember movies would last at the theaters maybe three months. Then you would have to wait six months for the movie to even come out on video. But now it's like, it's like a movie comes out and in three months it's out on yeah. Blu-ray and DVD, you know? Well, you know what it is, too? They play the whole game. Well, this is rated PG-13, but we have the more extreme scenes on uh, the video, on uh, DVD, rather, so piss away another 1995 so you can see shit that we took out and should have stayed the fuck out, you know? Dude, I don't even want to talk about what all this crazy COVID shit is doing. Like, you know, I, I spent $20 on a, a movie to watch with my kids, and <laughs> it's just you rent it for two days, you know what I mean? I get that it's like going to the movie theater, you know, you're spending that much, but come on, man, like... They're and they're not even releasing it to DVD. It just I don't I just don't get it. I don't. It's it baffles me just the way the approach is to film and I I don't know I, and I don't get into it. I don't care. It's it is what it is. You know? It's it's not it's not it's not the way it was and it's never going to go back because you never experienced it and a lot of other people probably listen to this thing never experienced it. But like how many people today could sit through a triple feature of like let's see. What was the one I was laughing about? Uh, Street Fighter, Slave of the Cannibal God, and Return of the Street Fighter. That's crazy. That's see that I can't Seriously. even imagine That's, ever seeing that. Yeah, yeah, that stuff like that. I mean, they had shit like, um, very strange shit paired with zombie. Like they'd have like something like Animal House paired with zombie. That. Dude, I would love to go see that. That's nuts, but I mean, just the pairings in general were just like I, I told people they're they're insane. Uh, Which there was even twenty four hour, like well, cinemas, that, right? You know, that's that's a misnomer. What hap- What the deal is? The only place that was open twenty four hours was a place called the Harem. Which was on a, you had to walk through this little flight upstairs. It was like a shoebox theater. And it was completely dark, and every weirdo in New York City would probably be there at one point in the evening or another. So you really didn't want to go there. The other one was the Venus, which was down on 8th Avenue, which opened at 10 o'clock in the morning and closed at 7 o'clock in the morning. See, most of these places, they would close up maybe after midnight during the week, and they'd probably run till maybe 2, 3 in the morning on weekends. But the thing was, 
they all opened up early in the morning because the night shift got off. And night shift didn't want to go out, you know, go home right away. They get grab breakfast or whatever, then go see a movie. So most of those places were open like 10 o'clock in the morning. That's crazy. I just, like I said, man, I mean, even living in a small town in Kentucky pretty much my whole life, uh, I just, I couldn't imagine that even ever being a thing existing. But like I said, I see it in, see it in movies and see it in, you know, like just like the shots of the street. It's just very, it's been a very intriguing concept to me so well, I, I always tell people i said you know you don't realize how wild west it was because anything could fucking happen i mean you know we thought nothing of walking in by you know with, with a you know visibly visible open bottles of liquor and shit because nobody would stop you you could sit there and smoke weed in the place and nobody would bother you that type of thing I mean, it was like, you know, people weren't like, you know, like you really had to do something fucking bad to get drawn attention, drawn you and thrown out. You well, know, I just think, was... even think the moviegoer is a different type of milieu now. Like, I mean, like the, the type of moviegoer, like I couldn't imagine hanging out with someone and being like, hey, man, we're going to, you know, drink like 12 beers and watch a movie. You know, they, they couldn't sit still. Like, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just totally a different concept of even checking out movies now. No, well, we could. I mean, I, I don't know if you ever had them in Kentucky. We had midnight shows. The birth of the midnight show was in New York. That that's uh, no. I went to. I used to in high school. That's what we would do on whenever a midnight show would happen on Thursday. Because, like you said, uh, that there was a switch. You said Wednesday to Friday. Movies used to come out on Friday for a while, and that's what we do. I'd go Thursday night midnight showing. I've I've seen most of my favorite movies as a high schooler at midnight showings. Yeah, but I'm talking specifically for Midnight, like Rocky Horror and Reefer Madness and Freaks and all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah, I wish I wish that was <laughs> my experience. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's, that's where the whole thing – see, the whole thing started at this theater in New York called The Elgin, which was way far away from 42nd Street. That was down by the village. And they got a hold of El Topo, and nobody knew what to do with it. So somebody goes, well, what if we ran this at midnight? And somebody goes, nobody will show up at a midnight show. The place held like 600 people, and it was packed. Pack full of pot smokers. That's crazy. So they ran that, and then John Lennon and Andy Warhol and people like that were into it. I think Lennon, I think, tried cut a deal to get it distributed, and they did. But when it ran, it it fucking tanked outside of the midnight thing. So you know now these guys are sitting there thinking like, what else can we do? And of course, hey, you got a theater full of pot smokers. Reefer Madness from the thirties. Yeah, yeah, so right. They run Reefer Madness. Some, you know, oddball trailers and shit, some weird other crap. And they, they try to fill out a two-hour thing, and then they come up with freaks. So, hey, freaks and reefer madness, perfect pair, fills a two-hour slot. Everybody's out of there by 2 o'clock in the morning, 2.30 in the morning. And then uh, Night of the Living Dead. That was tailor-made for a midnight audience. It just uh, it doesn't, so. doesn't happen that way anymore. It just... Like you said, man, it, it, well, things come to an you know, end. Yeah, but it's too, I don't think I don't think you could get. You know, people are too fucked up now. You couldn't get away with it because they there was a place. Uh, it was a rock venue in Jersey called the Capitol Theater. Weird thing was, it was a porn theater by day, and they had like broken down strippers and shit like that. But midnights on Saturday, if they weren't running rock acts, they started running this really weird ass midnight show with bloopers. And Three Stooges shorts and all kinds of weird crap. So we go in there. There's about four of us. Of course, we're all smoked out. We're ready to smoke some more. 
And I tell this one guy with us, we used to call him Gasoline because he looked like the checkered demon from the S. Clay Wilson comics. <laughs> and I said, yes, go up and get us something to drink. So, all right, he goes. And all of a sudden, we're sitting there. I'm like, hey, this fucker's been gone for like 20 minutes. Where is he? He comes walking down the aisle with two cases of cold beer. I'm like, how the fuck did you do that? And he goes, well, the guy said the soda machine was broke, but I go across the street and get something. So I figured this would work. And <laughs> he said, shit. And it, it, that whole night got progressively worse because I got so fucked up I couldn't feel my legs. When the lights went on, they had to like lift me out of my seat. So, <laughs> yeah, we did a lot of shit like that. I, didn't, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, you know, probably 90% of what we did back in the day would probably get us arrested now, and we never thought nothing of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, like, drinking at a theater and all that. I mean, that just, that's nuts, man. That's... Yeah, but, you know, nobody said shit unless you really got out of hand. But, you know, you, you could be sitting there and you'd hear the beer bottles, like, rolling underneath your seat from the people behind you, you know? Yeah, 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 which I've, I've been to a movie once. I think it was, like, Spider-Man 3 Midnight Showing, and I had a friend with me. He was dressed in a Spider-Man costume, and he was he brought a backpack full of beer with him, and after he, you know, went through like four beers, he broke the seal and started pissing in the beer bottles and it <sighs> dropped him on the floor and you could hear him rolling down. And you're like, Oh my God, dude, what, you know, that was like scary to us. You know, I'm like, Oh, we got, we're going to get in trouble and shit. So, um, but I mean, even my dad tells me of going to the drive-in and just drinking beers in the car and, you know, getting pumped on movies and shit. So, I mean, but, oh, we did we did that too. You know, when you when you, you know, let's see, I started going over there. I was about fifteen. I got my license when I was seventeen. So it's like, hey, fuck, we got to hit the drive-ins. That was good in the summer, but sometimes you got you didn't get a really clear image. Like I, I remember seeing Sabata at the drive-in and like, oh fuck, I really like this movie, but it's dark. I'm gonna go see it in the city. So then I go to Forty Second Street and there on the marquees, it's like. I don't know, look like a ten foot standee of Lee Van Cleef holding the gun, and it says Lee Van Cleef is yeah. <laughs> Great shit, I'm telling you. They didn't know how to pitch a fucking movie back then. You know, you, you didn't have, you know, you didn't have the internet. You didn't have all this bullshit. Well, it's crazy because, like, like, like I said, like my dad or my grandpa will bring up like Lee Van Cleef or, you know, uh, Michael Landon and shit, and like they know what movies they're from. My my grandpa can name every fucking actor or actress on the screen, and you know they didn't have the internet then. You know, like me, I'm fortunate enough I can look up an actor and be like, oh, yeah, I know who that is, you know, but they they know it from going to the theater, going to the drive-in, watching movies all the time, and that's what they did, and that's what I'm saying is, like, there's a whole different culture of, you know, generations of watching movies to watching movies now with people, you know, people my age, I and I think it sucks that they don't appreciate movies in the way that I do. Well, you know what it was too. It was like when we when it first started doing this shit with the conventions and stuff. You know, here I'm meeting guys, you know, like Ted Michaels, H.G. Lewis, Dave Friedman, and guys like that, who told me point blank they never envisioned anything past the theatrical run. It was pretty much show it, screen it, run it out, toss it in a pile with the other ones. Let's go on to the next one. They never envisioned television. They never envisioned, you know, home video. They never, of course, they never envisioned DVD. They never envisioned anybody went over to restore these things and clean them up. And it's like, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, worked with Nick, uh, 
Phillips, uh, whose father was SS Millard, one of the first roadshow guys. And these guys were all out there. Like I said, they, they never saw anything past, you know, the theatrical run. Let's make our money and get out. And they were like flabbergasted that people remembered them, you know, and it's like, you know, completely, complete different from these fuckers today that like you know, $60 to get a picture taken with them and shit like that. Yeah. But they were completely flabbergasted and humbled and were, you know, really some cool people. And I'm really, was really happy to call a lot of my friends before they passed away. Learned a lot from them. Which I think that's awesome in Grindhouse Purgatory is you like remember all these awesome people and the issue and you like talk about them and how much of an impact they had in in the genre and and just you know cinema in general you know and that that's good there's a lot of faces that people my age would never be familiar with you know and that that makes me look and be like oh i'm gonna check this guy out yeah because that's that's part that's part of my deal it's like you know hey if i turn somebody on to something they didn't know about that you know i thought was cool and now they think is cool hey that's that's what i do because you know people forget you really don't have the caliber of actor, especially character actors now, um, than you had then. Because, you know, all these guys were always fucking working because the TV Western, I mean, Westerns were so fucking big on TV in the 60s and late 50s. These guys were never out of work. And it was all like, you know, you're Lee Van Cleef's, you're Jack Elam's, you're Warren Oates, you're George Kennedy's. All those guys just started there. And then you know, look where they look where they went. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's funny you said Warren Oates and George Kennedy. Those are like household names in my my grandfather's house, man. It's like westerns are always on the TV. You know, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, all that, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, you you want you want to see something interesting? Pick up a uh, it, it, you know something. It's on Tubi. Ride the I think it's is it Ride the Whirlwind? Yeah, Ride the Whirlwind. Dude, I was just about to watch that movie. I that's okay. Well, when it. you see the guy take the fall off the stagecoach, that's Gary Kent. Really? No that way. That was his first bump. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Like because he was on there. Said so Cameron Mitchell said, "I got this. This guy will take this crazy fall." I, I bought like a two dollar Blu-ray from fucking Fye. It was literally two dollar Blu-ray of forgotten spaghetti spaghetti westerns and fucking cameron mitchell you know what i mean like i don't even remember what the movie was called it was just minnesota clay that it's crazy man crazy blind the blind gunman wait blind gunman yeah 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 he was blind in it yeah 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 that was another court Bucci thing too that's crazy man yeah because yeah. the weird part there's an alternate ending to that because in one ending he's lying there dying in his daughter's arms and the other ending you see him riding off with a pair of glasses and he throws the glasses up in the air and shoots the lenses out <laughs> that's crazy man that's yeah. nuts man yeah I'm, that might be a wild east one I, dude I'm not sure like I said dude just one of those rings. you know something though that might be bouncing around on a regular DVD I think um, oh shit it wasn't an expensive VCI might have had it like I it's, said, it, man, it was like two bucks. <laughs> yeah. I just bought it because it said Spaghetti Western on it. Um, and, and, you know, I don't even, like I said, where I'm a small town, there's not a lot of, I, I was surprised I saw the fucking New York Ripper at an FYE here. And, you know, uh, that's that's surprising to me that that would even come up. You still have here. an FYE there? Yeah, yeah, which is weird, too. That's a weird... We don't have shit here. There's no fuck. All, all there are shitty, you know, city retail stores that, like, you bring in 30 DVDs. We'll give you $3 for them, and then they flip them for, like, 20 Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, It and I don't even go to the FYE that much. It's like I said, I can just buy online and 
secondhand buyers. So, um, it, it, I mean, it's sad to pay. Like, I feel like it's, it's sad to pay $25 for a VHS to be honest, but I mean, I, I've done yeah, it. They're, they're collectible now. Nobody makes them. That's the whole thing. I never thought VHS would be collectible. I'm like, you know how much stuff I gave away for a dollar when I replaced my collection with DVDs and then I find out, oh, it's worth 60 bucks. I'm like, motherfucker, here we go. And I don't even know why I want to buy stuff as Blu-ray now to begin with. I'm I'm sure there, I mean, there is a difference, I guess, but I mean... Only if they did something to restore it, because a lot of, like I said, a lot of this stuff, they're pulling the same crap they did, you know, when DVDs first came out, they'll do a linear transfer of a VHS version on a DVD, so now it's a DVD. Well, right. they're basically doing the same thing with some of these Blu-rays off, off a regular DVD. Right, right, which is what Revoc.com does. Like, it's like literally just a VHS, re- I mean, dude, they have, uh, what's, uh, what's the dude from Beyond, uh, the Beyond, the fucking david warbeck is that his name right yeah right right yeah yeah yeah, warbeck uh he was in a movie called miami horror and um i got a revoc fucking copy of this and it's literally it's got japanese subtitles on it It, it's it's like into ingrained in the dvd so you know it's some kind of weird transfer it's encoding well, you know back you know the other thing too was back with a lot of this stuff going back into the bootleg days when they were bringing in uh, the John Woo things and stuff like that, you know, you got shit with the subtitles and you couldn't get it out because that's the way that, that's the way the DM things were transferred. Well, so. I'm cool with it too. I'm I'm okay with it. Like, I mean, it's necessary for watch. I'm not gonna watch it any other way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, they're you live with what you got, I guess. You know. Yeah, I've gotten the whole fucking gauntlet from 16mm film, VHS, DVD. I swore it wasn't going to go Blu-ray, but some of this stuff's too sweet looking to like pass up anymore. That's what that's what happened to me. I was like, I was, I was like, I don't you know, you know, if, you know what it is. If you're into this shit, they're going to suck you in. I'm just not going to get sucked in where like I'm, I'm going to replace a thousand DVDs with a thousand Blu-rays. That's like fucking nuts. Yeah. And I look at some of this stuff and go, wow, you're ever going to watch that again? <laughs> no, not really. Let's see what let's see what it's going for on eBay because if you can get more than ten bucks for it, flip it. Dude, that yeah, that's me too. Like I'll like buy some of those guys. All right, I was like, I'll just sell it on on eBay if I really don't if I don't like it that much. I can just get rid of it. I can make at least how much half of what I spent. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, you know what it is. Somebody was saying, you know, I always get this question. I'm surprised you didn't ask it. Give me your top ten favorite films, and the answer is I don't have any. Because I, I don't like I've lists. Seen, I mean, I, I would never. I feel like that was that that would be an inappropriate question, you know. Well, it's you know, people ask, people ask. I, I used to have it broken down in the genre and shit, but then I, the other day I was thinking about it. and I says, "There's got to be over 500 movies that I own that I could watch over and over again without being bored, and it just runs the whole gauntlet of just about fucking everything." So. And then you have things that you thought were fucking cool the first time you saw them, and they were so, sort of cool the second time you saw them. Then five years later, you pull it out, and you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? Well, I, I guess I do have kind of like a question like that. Like, what uh, what decade do you usually think, like, the best movies came out of? I guess that's more of like a general um, question. <sighs> That's that's a good question. Um, I'd say from sixty nine. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. I'll back that up. 
63 up until about the mid 80s really was probably the best era for film like i said worldwide because you know you could experiment with things you could you could do things you know don't forget they put when i they pulled the whole gloves off with that um the hazak thing so there was no rating board for a while so it's like a lot of shit that came out and you're looking at stuff going how the fuck did they get away with that there was no ratings board they don't know what they're doing that ratings thing only came in I, you know, I think El Condor was the first film that got an R rating. Really? Yeah. Really? That's... I'm pretty sure it was. Because it came in and had the right mix of sex and violence to get it the R rating. And that was the film that paired um, Lee Van Cleef up with Jim Brown for the first time. And fun, I, I wrote I wrote about this in Rhinos Purgatory, too, and this is just a personal observation because... You know, Jim Brown started in Rio Conchos, and he was like, I think, maybe fifth build or something like that. And he standout performance. And then when he did the Dirty Dozen thing, you know, he got rave reviews. But it just seemed that they didn't know what to do with him after that. I mean, they put him with Gene Hackman twice. They put him with Ernest Borg, and they did a couple things. Then, right after he did this thing with Lee Van Leaf, his whole thing took off with, you know, uh, the black exploitation stuff. So... Somebody had told me that Lee was the type of guy that would like sit younger actors down and if they wanted to listen to him, they could listen to him. I remember uh, they had Fred Williamson up at the Cinema Wasteland. He was doing a Q&A and they asked him uh, about what do you think about Lee Van Cleef? And he said, I miss Lee Van Cleef every day. Damn, that's nuts, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Man, I, so, I, I have not got to experience Cinema Wasteland yet either, Like, which it's, it's only like four hours away from me. I just I haven't got a chance to make it up there yet I'm, I'm i'm hoping that it still continues yeah I, I don't know you know that not not being able to have it in april uh put a lot of people back and it's like you know what do you do you can't you know you, you can't take the fucking chance because most of the people that you bring in as, as far as guests go are older right right yeah and, you know what do you, what do you want to hear like oh well you know the whole cast of whatever the fuck just died after doing this convention and, you know, the problem is, and like I said, you know, if I make it till October with this thing, if I even have any, I'll be doing these things for 30 years. Yeah. And it's like everybody's close. Everybody's in close proximity. A lot of hugs, a lot of handshakes, a lot of this, a lot of that. So. I never even, I never even really thought about that either with like. It, it sucks because a lot of, a lot of us, you know, I, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for 30 years. I got friends all over the country and the only place I see them is, you know, at Wasteland. I don't really go anywhere else. And it's like, you know, the whole, to me, the whole scene, you know, has been for the last few years, Wasteland, because it, you know, never hoard itself out, never brought in these walking dead douchebags, you know, people <laughs> that were ripping off. The autograph prices were always, you know, un, you know, 20 bucks. Dude, and, you know, I've and, never paid. I've never, yeah. I've never even paid for an autograph. I'm like, dude, I'm not paying for you to sign something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It got ridiculous, but like I said, you know, it, the whole thing was, it was an old, you know, it, it's been an old school party atmosphere, you know, you know, people are getting older and shit, like I, you know, I don't do the, I'm up till four o'clock in the morning, look at me shit anymore, because fuck, what do I got to prove anymore, I, my, my prime, I could out drink anybody, but ain't gonna, ain't gonna do me any good now, so, you know, I'm usually out of there, like, you know, on Saturday night, you know, midnight, one o'clock, whatever, depending on, you know, who I'm hanging out with or home bullshit with at the time. So, but it's always been cool, you know, and like I said, sucks. I ain't gonna be able to see a lot of my old friends, you know, and if this keeps on going, what the fuck, you know? 
I, dude, I hope it doesn't, man. I'm like I said, I'm I'm looking forward to um a convention and uh like outside of Pittsburgh, Gross Fest, which that this will be like the farthest I've traveled for convention stuff. And you know, I this was like a supposed to be an important year, you know, uh, for myself with the magazine and stuff. This is a, we're about to put out our fourth issue. Um, and it's this is literally just grassroots, like underground, published by me. I mean, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, you know. Yeah, uh, that's what that's what ours are. Only we only we go through Amazon. Those miserable, you know, devil worshiping bastards. So. I actually think it's really cool that you guys are through Amazon because I can, I I can read it quicker for you know doing it on Kindle edition. However, yeah. I love having the physical copy. Like I I I have the um, uh, Dracula versus Frankenstein issue coming in. I'm really pumped on that. Uh, so. Uh, you know, but like I said, I read issue eleven on the Kindle. <laughs> you know, it's my my kid's Kindle, so I'm I'm like, hey, dude, let me check out your tablet real quick so I can read this. But uh, you know, I, I that is a uh, that it that's cool that that you guys do that because I mean, um, that's one I wanted to talk about too. Grindhouse Purgatory is it's an awesome awesome zine if you still consider it a zine, right? Yeah, thank you. I, you know, it was like one of those things where, you know, it's like everything else in sort of my career, it just sort of fucking happened weirdly. Like, like I said, I created the whole something, you know, something weird video. The joke on them was the 42nd Street Pete character as I did it to, you know, break Mike Franey's balls and then it worked. You know, 30 years later, it's still here. So what happened with the Grindhouse Purgatory thing was, um, I don't know if you remember a filmmaker named Andy Kopp. No, no. Okay, Mutilation Man? Mm-mm. Okay, well, anyway. There was a bunch of us, him included, Ed Demko. We were going to try to buy the rights to Screw because that had folded up years ago. And I couldn't find anybody who'd give me right information. And finally somebody did, and they said they wanted 150 k for the name. And then I ran into somebody who actually worked there, and he said, don't go near it, it's poison, fuck it. So let me take a sip of this. Uh, so in the meantime, unfortunately, Andy passed away. So we all got together and I said, well, why don't we do a one shot, you know, in Andy's memory called, we'll call it Grindhouse Purgatory because we got to call it something. And, you know, throw my name on for whatever the fuck that was worth. And we'll try it. So we did a first issue, and um, that was as far as I ever thought it would go. And after we did the first issue, people were going, well, you're going to do another one? And I'm like, well, I really didn't think about it. So the whole thing was I could do the whole thing myself, but then thinking about you know how things are in life, that where would I be had – you know, something weird video opened the door for me to do stuff and screw magazine for letting me in and do research to do the shit for something weird video and other things. So I said, anybody who wants to try, you know, their hand at writing, let me see what you got. So, you know, we had a bunch of people come on, some stayed, some left, you know, we had some growing pains, but you know, I got a, you know, I think I got a really, you know, great bunch of writers involved and, you know, everybody has their own little, thing with the genre like um ken brunette's a big you know kung fu guy and like i really am not that knowledgeable at all on kung fu films so 
he he takes that. You know, I, I had um, Dave Koseki from Liquid Cheese doing the porn, but uh, I don't know. You know, he hasn't been around in a while. I don't know what happened, but you know, he was good for that. I picked up a little bit on that because I can basically, you know cover any genre because I've seen so much of this stuff. So, you know, I got people coming in here and there, you know, and, you know, it, it all works out. And it's just, uh, you know, like I said, growing pains, but it found its niche. And then, you know, Gary Kent comes in a couple of times and he writes. Um, we got uh, the Ted Michaels interview that he wouldn't give to Fangoria, which made me chuckle. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. That's so yeah. badass, man. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's all good. And it's like, you know, the, the whole thing with uh, we, you know, I honestly felt that you know after Mike Vrainy had passed away that you know they were going to fold the company, but Lisa kept it going, and I wanted to, you know sort of give something back. So I threw this out to anybody who wanted to do it. You know, something weird was everybody's favorite crackpot video company. So we did a tribute issue, which really did well. You know, it brought more attention to you know what's going on with her, and then. Uh, Unfortunately, when Sid passed away, and you know, we were all we all loved Sid, and you know, I I was met Sid when I was eighteen at um at a convention in Kentucky. Man, he was like t the the coolest dude I met at the convention. To be honest, yeah, well, we were you know hanging out personally for a while, you know, doing some things. I was his bodyguard at one show, and you know, we had a relationship. But unfortunately, you know, man, you you lose track here and there, and then. Uh, he contacted me before he passed away but you know i wanted to do something you know in his memory and we did that you know sid Haig tribute issue which uh you know unfortunately it comes out at the same time this fucking virus comes out so couldn't get i couldn't even bring it to wasteland because the show was canceled which is is wasteland gonna happen in october as far as i know it's it's on but like i said I, you know it's iffy. I'm. I. I don't speak for the show. I, I'm only. You know. I'm just there. Right. Right. Uh, I, I have nothing to do with promotion or anything like that. Um, I honestly don't know. Um, it's. It's. It's going to be whatever the state decrees. Um, I know he wants. You know. Can, you know. The promoter wants to do it. Um, will it be? I don't know. We're dealing with a whole different fucking set of rules here, which kind of sucks because. You know, how are you going to stand, stay six feet away from everybody at a convention? And it's going to be one of these deals where Wasteland's never had a line to get in. It's it's an even flow. So, you know, if you only allow 100 people in the building, you know, you got that situation of a line outside. So no matter how you look at it, it's with every fucking convention, every wrestling show, all this stuff. It's a whole bag of suck because you don't know what the fuck to do. Right, and they, you know, like I said, you know, it's we're we're living a real life horror story because it's fucking killing people, and we got no answers. Yeah, yeah, seriously, I'm no answers, no man. I mean, Where I the don't fuck know. John Acar when we need him for Christ's sake, you know. I I know I have no idea what's going on, man, and like it doesn't af it, it affects. I mean, everyone's wearing masks around here, and you know, I've I've barely been out of the house in four months. You know what I mean? So or however long it's been on three months whatever you know it's felt yeah. like a long time but um I, I go out when i have to go out i'm like i gotta eat you know it's yeah. like i gotta get fucking food i mask up glove up and whatever and stay the fuck away from you know sloppy motherfuckers that are coughing all over the place <laughs> right right 
I mean, people want to be fucking stupid. You're going to fucking kill somebody. Even if you don't die, you might fucking kill somebody. Right. And yeah. I, I know that's the whole me first fucking attitude, which kind of sucks because, you know, I do my best, you know, on the DL to help people that I know have fucking problems. And, you know, on Facebook and shit like that, because, you know, stuff comes out and I'm friends with a lot of people and I know what's going on. And I really try to help people, you know, best I can. I'm not in great shape fucking either. But, you know, that's what people should do. And this this is one of the weirdest businesses in the world as far as like this, you know, horror mag, you know, DVD business. Because I don't know if you've, you've seen this yourself. I've seen it. But it's sort of like, you know, people shit on you when you succeed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Dude, yeah. the weirdest fucking thing. Like, you're not allowed to succeed. You're not allowed to be successful. I mean, and dude, it pushes me to the point where I, just with the way culture is now, man, I like, I don't, I don't even try to have a social media presence as much anymore. And, you know, and it sucks because it's like, that's what you have to do to have, you know, get sales and stuff. And not that it's about money. I don't make money off the magazine, you know, I put my own. And none of us do. That's the fucking problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I've never made money off writing, and I think I remember you saying in the issue I was reading, you know, like I've never made money off writing, and it's not about that, you know. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you put the effort into it because you you enjoy it you know it's something well, it's, some, it's something i want to keep alive because it was a big part of my life and a lot of it gets washed under the fucking you know bridge with you know with the wake of you know cg and all the other wonderful shit they came out with but you know when you're dealing with a guy like ray harryhausen with stop motion effects that was fucking art it don't take no fucking art to push a bunch of fucking buttons and make a fucking monkey come up on the screen. It's bigger than everybody else. Right, right. I mean, the, so, in yeah. Ray Harryhausen is like something I yeah. know because of, you know, yeah. being with the but, people but I've like, up yeah, with. But it's, like, but it's like the whole thing is like I made money with my book because, you know, people, for whatever reason, and I kept saying, you know, I'm going to do this. And right, when are you going to do it? I'm fucking jerking around with it for 15 years. And then when I put that article in Crying Purgatory about New York City liquidators, that was the trigger point because that's all, all I fucking heard. Bill Lustig emailed me. I love that story about New York City liquidators. I remember going in here and shit. So then I emailed my publisher and I said, let's fucking do this. And I would have been happy if I sold 20 fucking copies. And when I told people I had it in my hands, I sold like, 202 weeks i was like fucking blown away i was completely fucking humbled because i never thought now we're doing another one which i think Can't. people are interested in uh you know especially my my generation i don't know why but you know people like joe bob briggs are like making a big comeback now i mean i interviewed him in our second issue and you know he was totally cool very nice guy and you know people are interested in that kind of you know, special esoteric knowledge when it comes to this stuff. And I, I don't know why oh, I, I couldn't explain. He, but. He, wrote a book, he wrote a great book called profoundly disturbing. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't read it yet, but I remember, I remember uh, him actually talked to me about his books. I, I just got back to the drive and that's the only one I've read, but I know yeah. he has a, a decent amount of books um, uh, about, you know, all, 
experiences and all his articles and stuff like that. And which, you know, he's like I said, how do you, how do you feel about, you know, shutter kind of having this, I, I don't know if you watch it, but it's, uh, well, I, don't, you, I don't watch it. I I'm, I'm not paying for any fucking streaming. I don't make, I don't make enough money to do that. Plus I have a huge library of my own shit. So they're, they're not showing me anything I don't got. Right. Right. I which mean, it's funny. You've mentioned I'm, Bill Lustig yeah. a couple of times, you know, the fucking maniac was on last two Fridays ago, I think maybe, but you know, a lot of people were like, Oh, I've never seen maniac, you know, uh, which it, it, to me, it's kind of crazy. Like, that's like required fucking viewing. What are you kidding? Yeah. yeah that's what I, and I hate, to, I'm not trying to be that asshole. Cause I'm, I'm a kid, dude. Like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what people watch, but it's like, that's something that's I had, like, you know, the, the hype for that was so heavy that I was like running a fucking fever. I think I had the flu and I had to go out and see it in spite of that. Well, a lot yeah. of people talk about like Savini, his head exploding and that. But to me, the, the the end of that film is very crazy. It reminds me of like uh, Taurus Trap a lot, but it's like Taurus Trap yeah. on fucking fucking crack you know it's 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 the same it's a shame joe was just so fucked up on all that dope he was doing and shit like that because he was a really good actor which which is what i've heard so many people say um yeah. you know uh like he was just totally and totally just the the best fucking actor totally into it and that, that's awful man that's terrible that that shit happens to people yeah, well, I think I think what pushed him over the edge too was Stallone fucked him over. His, Stallone's people wanted wanted Stallone to get away from Joe, and Joe was opening doors for him because Joe was in before Stallone was in. So, what? That's just there's so much fucking legend. Yeah, it is. It, it's like I always I always say, you know, and I'm like, you know, I I think I'm pretty humble about this. You know, you leave the dance with who you came with. In you know, in a in a career type of situation, and you know, it's like I am, you know, like I said, I'm grateful for something we're in video. You know, even though my career has ups and downs, and everybody else's has ups and downs. I'm an opinionated bastard. I got a private Facebook page because I kept getting suspended every fucking thirty days because somebody would pissed off at me and shit. But there, there's people in the business that probably don't like me, and there's people I don't like, but I don't pontificate on it. You know, it's like it is what it is. You know, people aren't going to fucking hire me to do shit. And, you know, hey, be that way. You know, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm pretty much semi-retired. I, I do this shit because I like to do it. I like to keep my hand in it. And I got a lot of friends and, you know, connections in it. I never thought I would go anywhere with this stuff. But it just seems that people really like what I do. And until they don't, I keep on doing it. So I, I, I find it interesting that they allow joe bob briggs on shutter you know and just uh like i said the way culture is now you know they're always trying to just crucify someone for any maybe error or whatever they speak you know um i just like i, I don't know i'm not i'm not for or against anybody i have freedom of speech i say everybody can be entitled to whatever opinion they want but um, that that's one thing I thought about uh, reading the editor's notes of uh, Grindhouse Purgatory. I'm like, did this is awesome? You know, uh, someone is speaking straight up their fucking mind. I, I think that's important. 
Yeah, well, that's what, what do I got to lose? You know, it's like, you know, ain't like, you know, ain't like I'm Quentin Tarantino's going to call me up and ask me to come out to lunch after all the shit. But, you know, I, I tell it like it is, you know, you know, going with even with any of this stuff. I watched a lot of fucking movies, but I didn't watch them in the video store. I watched them in an actual fucking grindhouse. And it was like it wasn't rare for me to watch like, you know, two or three double features a fucking week. Because, you know, my schedule was weird. I worked weird hours and I got off. I'd either go to a bar or go to the fucking movies. So I got this like arcane memory of where I saw the stuff, what I was doing, who was drunk, who was stoned, whatever. But ask me where I parked my car tonight. I couldn't tell you. But, you know, it just it just stays with you. Know, certain shit just stays with you. And the other thing was, too, is that. A lot of these things, okay, if you want to see a certain movie, you got to go rent a DVD or pull the DVD out and stuff like that. You know, if you were going to go see, and this is a good example, um, Bob Murawski emailed me about when he ran Pieces because somebody sat in the front of the Rialto Theater and had Pieces and The Hills Have Eyes. And he says, well, why do you think they paired it with The Hills Have Eyes? And I said, because nobody knew what the fuck Pieces was, but everybody knew what The Hills Have Eyes was because it ran there for years. So... You know, you would always catch something you had seen before as a co-feature to back up the new thing because if the new thing sucked, they didn't want people wrecking the theater. So that's the way that worked. That's where I saw a lot of shit over and over again. Night of the Living Dead was a perennial co-feature for fucking years. I saw it with Skullduggery, Last House on the Left, some other fucking shitbag movie up in some North Jersey driving that I can't remember because I almost got arrested that night. Uh <laughs> I, yeah. I want to exp I want to like explore some of these like subtle hints. You're like, yeah, I almost got arrested on that. Like, what what made you almost get arrested that night? Uh, we were shooting skyrockets at the fucking screen because we were drunk. <laughs> Damn, that's fucking crazy, man. I was selling fireworks at the time, and they I made the mistake of letting the assholes that I was with know we had them. So of course, you know. I blew it off at first. We ain't going to do this. But the more I drank, the more you know fun the idea became. So then we started shooting with the screen and some jerk will had to call the cops. So, <laughs> And the worst part was one of the guys drops his keys. All right. So we're out of there and he goes, I dropped my keys. I said, I can't go back. They know my fucking car. So we had to drive home and switch cars and go back there and tell somebody that he lost his keys. Without me doing the actual telling because I was the one they fucking jumped on. So. Oh, we used to do weird fucking shit like that all the time. You know, it was like, we, we'd set up, we, we what we do is, um, especially with drive-ins, I had vans. So, you got six guys in the van, just me and a guy in a passenger seat, and the other guy's hiding under a pile of, like, collapsible chaise lounges and shit in the back. So pay to get in drive all the way to the back set up camp have a little fucking barbecue and shit and watch the movie it was great yeah I, and, and the thing is like uh a drive-in i've never been to one my whole life man no no i thought, no. They, would have them. I thought they would have them down well, they, well, they were born they started in jersey jersey's where they, they originated my town we had a i remember growing up uh which it's now uh you know, the whole like cul-de-sac of fucking houses. Now it was a dilapidated drive-in. It was like grown over with vines. And I always remember driving by with my dad and he'd be like, 
because uh, it was right across the street from my elementary school. And he'd be like, that's where we used to go. Um, that's the one time I said there was fireworks at, on 4th of July. And I remember shouting out on the top of the car, God damn. And that's, you know, that's that's what I know of it. And I always hear stories of the drive-in. Um, I hear my grandpa tell me about taking a dollar to the theaters and getting a Coke and popcorn and seeing a movie, you know, a double feature or whatever on a Saturday. So yeah, they they, they used to do carload deals. I think it was like five hours a carload or something for people. Yeah, they I mean that stuff. I just hear stories, and yeah. that's why it's uh, interesting <laughs> to bring people like you on the show. I mean, you know, that's that's the kind of knowledge that you know I I love to hear about. That's the stuff that I hope other people, you know, love to hear about especially in terms of cinema cinema is not just watching a movie you know it's just the whole the the legendary aspect of it the the mythology that surrounds it with the people that you know uh share stories storytelling and things like that oh yeah i agree definitely agree so um i i want to um man we're at like an hour and 10 minutes now which is awesome um i i want you to maybe throw a shout out with uh grindhouse purgatory and any other cool thing that you're doing well we're gonna have a summer issue out because like i said we're all stuck in the fucking house um that should be out i'm trying to think now let me i'm I'm thinking july um we're gonna do it's sort of like a little leaning toward al adamson because of that whole severin box set thing yeah 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 i saw that too and, and Gary Kent's going to be doing something about uh, his role in Satan Sadist. He's writing a piece for it. So that should be good. And then, you know, the usual one in October, which I've been just been writing my ass off. So those are coming out. My uh, second uh, autobiography or part two of my autobiography, no matter how you look at it, whole bag of crazy. Um, I don't know what we're working on the title because I gave him one title and he goes, well, that really sucks. And I'm like, well, okay, let's play with these. But we didn't make a decision yet. But that may be out by the fall, hopefully. What I'm trying to do with that is I'm trying to illustrate it with a lot of ad mats from like the, the, the porn magazines and screw and things like that. You know, nothing really explicit, but, you know, massage parlor ads and shit. So people get an idea of like where all the show is going. And I don't know. That's... Nothing's going on in the DVD thing. Um, you know, just trying to, you know, keep fucking sane and help some people out and keep everybody, you know, happy. And, you know, I got, oh, the YouTube channel, too. I don't know if I said that. No, no, um, you haven't mentioned that, which I know you no. have a lot of really cool YouTube videos. Uh, one you talked about, The Dark, which was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we got, uh, we started, uh, friends of mine told, told me uh, we should start a YouTube channel, so we did, because they produced it. It's 42nd Street Pete's Grindhouse Purgatory. It's on YouTube. We talk about, you know, the movies, the porn, the wrestling, all kinds of other stuff. So uh, people seem to like it. We try to keep it going because, hey, you're stuck in the house. What the fuck, you know? I mean, honestly, I think we maybe need a part two for this episode because I didn't even touch the wrestling stuff, and I got a lot of wrestling head fans um they're obsessed with you know anything and everything wrestling which has a lot of you know legendary aspect to it too oh is this you want you want the iron <laughs> i should tell you the iron Sheik story <laughs> no, no go ahead and tell it come on go ahead and tell it okay you know the whole bit where he went bad shit that one time right right yeah okay do you ever see the one where 
it's him, New Jack, and the Hockey Talk Man no. in the room? No. Okay. No. It's, uh, I don't know if our video is still selling or not, but what happens is I got involved in, I always was a big wrestling fan anyway. So I got involved in the whole indie thing and, you know, um, I did something that, you know, basically made me, you know, I got the in. So everybody knew I smoked weed. So video guys call me up and they go, well, you know, we're down at the, the airport with the Iron Sheik. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, well, uh, I said, let me guess. He forgot his medicine. And I go, dude, I only do weed. I said, I don't know what else he's into. He goes, no, no, we just, you know, could, if you could, you know, just hook us up with a little. I said, all right, I'll do you a favor. So I drive down there and it's like, let's go up and talk to the Sheik. So I'm hanging out with the fucking Iron Sheik for like an hour. He's showing me his medals and all this other cool shit. And we're smoking fucking weed. And, you know, this is good. So, all right, I leave. Well, I guess a little while later, New Jack and the Hockey Tonk Man show up. And they shot this video. And they are getting more and more fucked up. And they're ragging on everybody. They're dropping trout. They're like waving their asses at Vince McMahon. It was like fucking insane. But I did. I missed that by about two hours because I left. That I was in, I was involved in the whole indie thing for like you know when I was in Jersey last ten years. You know, basically I was. Uh, I started working security uh, for you know when Doug Gentry was trying to do something with uh, pro wrestling, uh, uh, pro wrestling elite. I think it was. And then uh, when Doug passed away, unfortunately, he was like 30-something. And then they were doing something with this women's thing. And this guy, Sean the Mick McCaffrey, approached me about working security. I'm like, seriously, dude, a girls' league? I said, how fucking bad is that going to be? He goes, do me a favor, work one show. Well, first match, and I'm in the fucking middle. I'm in, you know, by the ring apron. I'm in between the guardrail and the fans. Primetime Amy Lee versus Angel Orsini. They beat the fuck out of each other. All I could do was get out of the way, and that sold me on the whole deal. <laughs> so I probably was, I was with them until I, I don't know, they moved the damn thing out. He sold it. So I think I was with them for every fucking show except two. One was a blizzard I couldn't get to, and the other one was um, something happened. Ooh, wait, we ran out of time. Oh, no, that was my, my phone. I don't know. <laughs> Just okay. got a text. Yeah, if you want to do it, you want to do a part two on a wrestling, I'm fucking Dude, game. I think we're going to have to do a part two because I have a really good wrestling fan. He's about to start his own zine newsletter um, where there's a lot of local wrestling around here. Well, not in the last few months, as you know, but yeah. um, uh, he's very into wrestling, knows a lot about the history. Um, honestly, I, I, me and him were kids. Uh there we used to have an armory here we used to go to wrestling competitions i i met bobby blaze at one point uh so i mean there is there's a whole thing going on around here but i uh i really think we should have a part two if you're if you're up to it sure whatever well, just let me know oh for I'm sure gonna... yeah well uh i really thank you for joining the show uh I'm Thanks sure for having a, me. A lot more if anybody, if anybody wants the magazine, you can or the book, you can contact me directly at grindhousepurgatorygmail.com. Or if you want to buy it from the Devil Worshipping Corporation, Amazon, you can do that. They throw me a quarter here and then. But uh, it's all good. I'm easy to deal with. So I'm on Facebook too. There's, there's a Grindhouse Purgatory uh, page, magazine page. So 
And, oh, and good. If, if Cinema Wasteland is going on, you will be there, right? I won't have a table, but I'll be roaming around. Okay, cool. All I'll right. be doing a hardcore wrestling hour with Toby Klein like I usually do. So Awesome, you know. awesome. All right, man, once again, thank you for joining us. Um, this is Graveland Usual Lives. I'll actually have to, I'll have to send you a copy of the magazine, man, if uh, you're, you're interested. Yeah, cool. Let me see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll definitely send you a copy. Um, this is Graveland Usual Lives. I'm Edwin Callahan, um, the editor, publisher. Uh, follow us at Graveland Usual uh, across the board on social media. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or anything you'd like to, you know, tell us about, uh, it's GravelandUsual at gmail.com. All right, 40 Seconds Street, Pete. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me, man. Good talking to you. We'll, yeah. be, we'll do to you real soon. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. I'll see you later. Okay. All right. Be safe. You too.